Hello and welcome to the My Dietitian Journey podcast. For legal reasons, I'm your co-host and producer, Adam, with me, of course, Felicia Peraza of Peraza Nutrition and My Dietitian Journey. And uh, we're going to be talking about some stuff today. What are we getting into? We're going to talk about how to keep yourself organized in private practice because there are a lot of moving parts and you might be starting off as a one-person show. So we're going to talk about how to optimize business flow, and then also keeping everything organized with client stuff, which can be a lot. Okay, how to stay organized, um, organizational tips and tricks, if you will. Um, If someone was setting up a a home office, I guess we can start there. How do you Mm -hmm. stay organized? What's the plan? How How do you map all that out? Yeah, so definitely get a dedicated workspace, which... You might not have, you know, an office available where you can just set up your office in in your home, Um, but even like a little nook, you know, or part of a bedroom where you just have even just your little desk or something where it's the dedicated workspace. Like a corner of a bedroom or like a corner of a living room or something that's, that space is only for work, only for productivity, nothing else. Yes. Yeah. It helps to kind of have that line of like, here's where I do work and here's where I do everything else. Um, But in that space, having, you know, files and folders, binders, books, everything really like easy to access. You're not going searching for things that you might use on a regular basis. Um, In setting up your workspace, dual monitor setup, which I did not have when I first started. Oh, like for a computer, for a PC, for a computer. Um, Or, you know, a laptop. I mean, it's going to look different for everybody. Um, I primarily work from home now. And so it's really helpful to have like a desktop setup. But for a long time, I worked off of a Chromebook. Yeah. So, <laughs> so if you have a, a desk with a computer set up that's dedicated for work and you have like a desktop PC set up where it's like a tower and then it's plugged into a monitor, not a laptop, if you can have a second monitor, it can be anything. It can be a cheap old TV, just anything else as a dedicated visual space for your computer. You can even have a second display for a laptop too. It is tremendously helpful for productivity to be able to have like a website open on one side and then like a a PDF or a a Word doc open on the other to be able to go back and forth between two documents, looking at two different things, stuff like that. It's, It's immensely helpful to do that. It was a huge productivity spike for me when I started working with a dual monitor setup. It's so good for so many things. Yeah. When I first started, I was using a very old MacBook and then I switched to using a Chromebook because I was doing a lot of like on-site stuff for businesses and in-home sessions and then in transitioning online. And so I didn't think much about having like a computer set up, but in being home, I've found having, you know, a computer set up with two screens, you don't realize like how much more productive you are (laughs) until you have it all set up. Um, And like, you know, Adam said, you know, having one thing open on one side and another. So I'll be like Googling stuff and searching for things and pulling up old documents and then like creating an outline on this one and just so much more productive. You'll never go back to a single monitor if you can help it once you have to. It's kind of like having a cell phone with internet. Like most people who are in their 30s probably remember the day where you didn't have internet on your phone and you made it. maybe some people thought, why would you ever need that? I'll never not have internet on my phone now, obviously being able to whip it out and Google stuff. That yeah. said, your phone can often be a second display too. Whatever. Either way, it's, it's a great mm-hmm. it's a great option to have. So, you know, cabinet space and and, um, and files and whatnot. If you're like an old person and still use paper <laughs> files for some reason, you weirdo. All right. I have a filing cabinet. She does. <laughs> and I do have, so there's, we're going to talk about like organizing files digitally, but also 
like having a filing cabinet. And when I first started in private practice, I didn't have all of the electronic record systems that I do now in like a, an EMR where I'm doing my billing and charting all in one spot. I was doing like encrypted flash drives. Well, I started with paper charts and then, and everyone had their own file folder, like maybe some doctor's offices that you might be at now. Um, and then I started doing like encrypted flash drives and having those locked in the filing cabinet. But having the filing cabinet, you know, to keep business documents that I needed to reference, um, keep everything labeled because after a while, when you start to get insurance, if you accept insurance, you get insurance letters and, you know, explanation of benefits, you start to end up with a lot of paperwork. And if you're not scanning it right away, it could be helpful to put it into a filing cabinet and have it in easy locations so you can upload it later or shred it if you need to. So It is wild that you think anyone ever is going to buy a filing cabinet but you. <laughs> you think anyone in their 20s is going to own a filing cabinet? You're mm-hmm. out of your mind. I bought mine when I was in my 20s. Yeah, I know you did. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, you, you'd want a shredder too, I guess. It's a good thing to have if you're, if you're going to go the, ra- the paper route. Anyway. Absolutely. Yeah, and that's, you know, especially if you're working like in private practice and seeing clients and you have, you know, documents that have confidential PHI personal health information on them that you need to dispose of correctly, shredding them and making sure your shredder is like a cross shredder. So it like actually shreds it because the first shredder I got, I didn't realize was like long strands. And I'm like, this, <laughs> this is not <laughs> compliant. So, so. <laughs> relatable. Everyone's going to go out and buy a specific kind of shredder for their files that they're totally <laughs> going to have paper on their filing in their filing cabinet. But you, you have a good system of organization for digital files as well. Yes. So if you're not using like an EMR, what I would suggest, there's a couple ways you can go about it. You could store things on like a external hard drive and just, you need to have it just password protected or encrypted. So some way of like a level of protection. Um, so I had a bunch of, I still use flash drives now cause they're easy to access. Um, but even just on my regular computer, I use Google drive and One thing to keep in mind with these platforms and systems is if you're storing any confidential information that has personal health information, you need to make sure that whatever platform you're using is HIPAA compliant. So if you go using Google Drive, you can store stuff on there like handouts that's, you know, not going to contain confidential information, personal health information. But if you want to store any kind of client files, you need to make sure that you get the, um, Google Workspace and sign the business associate agreement so it's HIPAA compliant. But otherwise, there's other methods too. But I use Google Drive a lot. Um, and I put like handouts on there and I have like checklists for stuff and it's easy to then access if I'm not. Okay. In the so, office. so what is Google Drive? So it's just like, an, well, it's an online, you know, platform. It, it's a cloud based storage system yes. that you can use to store files on the cloud to pull down and upload. You can store them on the cloud that way that you can, as long as you can log into your account, you can pull mm-hmm. them down from any device, your phone, a laptop, if you're on site somewhere, not home. Basically it's cloud-based storage. If you don't know what cloud storage is, it's literally like Imagine there's a cloud above you and you're putting files in it digitally and then you can retrieve them from that cloud from anywhere. Basically, cloud-based computer storage is kind of a new thing. It's maybe something that not a lot of people, some people may not know about. Anyway, so Google Drive is the cloud-based storage solution offered by Google. Mm -hmm. 
Um, OneDrive is the same sort of system basically for Windows. Mm -hmm. It's Windows, their own system. If you have Windows 10, you may already have a OneDrive account. If you log into your Windows account from another Windows device, you can pull things from that. Google's a little more universal. You know, you can use it on your iPhone. You don't mm -hmm. have to necessarily be running Windows for that or Windows 10 if you're running Windows 7, if you're like in the Stone Age for some reason, still running <laughs> 7 or 8, you know, whatever. It's, it's, uh, it's going to work for that too. Um, I don't know. Are These two are HIPAA compliant, or you can make them HIPAA compliant? So Google Drive, you can. I don't think actually OneDrive, you can. Um, when I tried to, I have the Microsoft Office suite, and that was something that I ran into was that there were aspects of the suite that were not HIPAA compliant. Now, for, I'm a, you know, smaller business, so they might have more secure ones that are for larger businesses that I'm just not aware of. Um, but that's definitely something you want to ask is, is it HIPAA compliant? And then making sure that you sign a BAA, which is the Business Associate Agreement. You may not need HIPAA compliance for every single file that you're going to transmit between, you know, your devices and the cloud. And then there's also Dropbox, which oh, yes. is another mm -hmm. sort of cloud-based um, storage solution that you can sign up for it for free and there's a paid option. Either way, those are kind of the big three, Google Drive, OneDrive, and Dropbox for cloud-based storage solutions. So, yeah. um, you know, and HIPAA compliance is an, is an obvious concern there. So did you talk about like your sort of file and folder system that you use on your computer already? I didn't, but um, I have on my, just on my regular desktop, I have my practice documents and stuff that I access a lot. So I usually access things like insurance verification forms, my new client forms, and I have those saved and ready to go templates when I was doing like paper charting, just so I'm not like trying to log in and find it everywhere. It's like right in one spot. Like they're in a folder on your computer in a place that's easy to navigate to from, you know, your desktop. Yes. And the same with like the flash drives because there's so many documents to keep track of in terms of like filing the LLC and when I submit stuff to insurance and all of the other stuff that goes along with running a business. And so everything has its own folder like LLC, you know, for the state. And then I have you know, the insurance companies and I have each insurance company listed and any letters that I had from them. So then that way, you know, and I have everything labeled in the file name. So that way, if I'm looking for something and I can't remember where I put it, I can easily search for it and that'll save time. Okay. So yeah, that's, that's, there's two big things here for, for quickly and easily locating files on your computer. One is to name them thoroughly. Mm -hmm. That way you can search for specific terms or general terms, and you can literally, like, I think it's Windows S to just search, or there's a little magnifying glass. You can search for file names. You click there, you can just search. It'll find everything on your computer. Also, saving things in a organized sort of branching folder path. That way it's easy to navigate through your folders and they kind of tree out. But if you make the names as accurate and concise as possible, you'll be making things easier on yourself later on when you're going and digging through files. It's a really good idea to come up with a sort of naming convention for your files that you understand yourself because you're the one that has to dig through your files and find them later. Do yourself a favor and stay organized from the beginning with the names of your files. And just to clarify, we are literally talking about folders on your computer, mm -hmm. making folders within folders within folders to find stuff. Yeah. You're going to end up with like hundreds or thousands of files eventually. Yeah. And to be able to navigate them properly and not leave it up to chance to find them is so key. Seriously. If you're mm -hmm. at it for like 5, 10, 20 years on the same machine, you're just going to have so many files. Yeah. Keeping them organized is so critical to actually being able to function. 
Yeah. And I even like for some of the stuff where I don't have that many files, like with like handouts, I have like a file folder on my um, Google Docs and some of them I didn't name properly. And then I'm like scrolling, trying to find that I actually need the one that I need. Um, And so it's a lot of time. And sometimes I'm just like, do I even have it? And then like a couple weeks later, I'm like, oh, that's where the one I was looking for. So, okay. So we've been talking about how to keep things organized in terms of files, both digital and physical. Um, but I assume for taking on clients and like certain procedures, you also have sort of protocols for just everything to streamline stuff, right? Yes. So, so let's talk about some of that stuff. So like, you know, steps for when you onboard a new client or like having to process, um, processing and, uh, verifying like insurance stuff. You yeah. Have, you have processes for all these things, right? Yes. And especially when you first start, when you're learning like what the steps are and what things you want to do and what you need to do, it could be overwhelming to think about all the steps and did you do all them? <laughs> so when I first started and now to this day, when I have a new client, I have a checklist, you know, if they scheduled an appointment, you know, did I go over the paperwork and just, it can be something you have in like a sheet that you print out. So if you are in like a client um, onboarding session where you're just you know, getting their insurance information, scheduling them for the appointment, explaining the paperwork, you check off all the things that you need to say um, and let them know of before the session. So that's one aspect. And then the whole process of actually onboarding the client, what do you need to do? So I use an electronic record system now. So when I get a new client, there's specific information I need. I need their name, their phone number, their email address so I can actually send them a link to the portal for them to fill out paperwork. And then I have specific paperwork that gets sent for each appointment type. And those things are important that I need to have on file. And it reduces the amount of time I need to like call the client and be like, oh, I forgot to ask this or send this. Um, But the more you can have like a checklist, you'll know that you're doing the correct things that you need to, but also you're not backtracking and spending all this extra time trying to figure out like, oh, I forgot this or or that. Um, It'll keep you more organized. And so like the onboarding process and then... The insurance verification. So I have a form, and if you're interested in it, I can send it to you. So send me an email, and that'll be down below. But it's um, it's just a verification sheet. So it's something that you can use yourself when you call an insurance company if you're a provider to check benefits, or something you can supply to your client for them to call and verify benefits, which can save you time because they know exactly what they need to ask. And so it goes through what codes to ask about, the time frame, getting like a reference number and all of the things on there. It's like a 10 question checklist. And then the individual writes, you know, their name, their date of birth. And so you have that information and then they can send it to you. So then that way you have it on file, but it's an easy way to then check insurance. So any way that you can create like a, a checklist of some sort will keep you organized and make sure that you're hitting all of the points that you need to, to save you time later and stress. That is some very exciting stuff. I was totally <laughs> listening for all of that. All right. So how about financial stuff? You're tracking your expenses, um, the accounting side of your business. How do you handle all that? Yeah. So there's a couple of platforms that you can use, like QuickBooks is one and they're, they're fairly cheap for like, you know, individual entrepreneurs. Um, and I use them for actually quite a while. Um, so there's like online um, software tools that you can use. But now I actually went back to using like an Excel document, which is another method that I started with and now use. And it's really easy to then 
you know, be able to check in with like, I like things organized in a certain way. Oh, so. weird. <laughs> Do you? You like things organized? So oh, I can so color weird. code it. And that was one of the, the things I didn't like about QuickBooks is I couldn't color code it and put it in things that I wanted. But there's a lot of online software tools that you can um, utilize for your business. Usually they're a paid um, service, but like QuickBooks, when I had it, it was like 10 bucks. It was pretty cheap. Um, Just to point it out, Excel is an incredible tool. It is extremely customizable. It's very powerful, mm-hmm. underestimated in terms of its power and function. If you learn how to use Excel, it can do so many things, like computational computing it can even do. There, you can manage data sets with like millions of numbers in Excel. Mm-hmm. Some crazy, crazy stuff, like very advanced mathematics. It is more than capable of being your financial planner and tracker Yeah, if you learn how to use it. And that's like what I use it now and I have like the income and my expenses and then I'm able to like create, put notes in there too. So if something was, you know, from, you know, a a referral from this or that, I can keep track of those things. I keep track of my client appointments, how many I had per month, how many cancellations, reschedules. And even though I could see that information in my EMR, it makes it a lot easier to look at a spreadsheet and be able to say like, okay, from January to March, I had this many sessions and and just see it all in one place. And then I use an accountant, which I would highly suggest because although you can probably file your taxes, you're on your own. Um, it why not hire the expert? Unless you have your CPA, in which case, you know, have at it. But yeah, hire an expert for that stuff. You don't want to lose money. And it's a business write-off too. So <laughs> why not? But um And the last thing you want is Uncle Sam coming after you because you messed up on your taxes in like three years time you owe all of a sudden five grand because of some weird thing that you missed or whatever. A yeah. CPA a CPA is gonna catch that stuff in accounting. That's what they do. Yes. You know? Absolutely. I learned that the hard way. <laughs> um, well, we don't have to go into detail, but yeah, I mean, it wasn't like a big deal, really. No, I just didn't do, I didn't do estimated taxes because I just didn't know about them. And then I realized that I should have done estimated because I owed a lot of money. Case so. in point, <laughs> better off hiring out for that unless you are really ambitious and want to take it on yourself, in which case, you know, not going to tell you how to live your life. <laughs> but, All right. But with having an accountant too, keeping your records organized, that'll actually, like for my accountant, she charges me a lower amount because I keep everything organized and it's less work for her to like sort through receipts. So the more you can stay organized, if you're working with an accountant, the more that they... Can make their life easier. Yeah. And so maybe be a less of a financial cost too. <laughs> okay. So let's get into some content creation stuff. Um, how do you plan out business goals or, or content creation? What does that process actually look like for you? So usually I look at the year as a whole and it's like a rough start because what I plan in January is not necessarily what I end up doing. So you plan the whole year out as like a rough a kind of guide? You don't plan out every week of the year per se, but... Yeah, like a rough guide to start with. So usually like big business goals, maybe like how many clients I want to aim for per month. If I'm looking to do like a webinar or seminars and really get in with certain companies, like what those big targets might be. And sometimes I'll just say like, by the end of the year, I want this, but I'm not saying like by December I want, or by January, I want this, you know, time frame. But being able to like have that just as an overarching business goal, client goals, maybe financial goals, and then the editorial calendar and like blogs, like how many blogs I might want to write in the year. What's an editorial calendar? So, well, I'm probably using the wrong term actually, but more of like a content creation calendar, I should say. So like for any kind of like social media that somebody might do, so like blogs, podcasts, 
newsletters, all of that kind of stuff. And so like a vague sort of outline of your year, like you want to do one of these per week, you know, a blog post every week two whatever a month and, you know, uh, 50 clients a month or, you know, whatever yeah. it's going to be. Or I want to run a certain program, like I run fitness groups. And so I might say, I want to run two this year. And then I start to think about the month and organize by month to say like what core tasks absolutely have to get done. So like no matter what, every month I check my website, make sure everything still works, make sure that, you know, things aren't broken, check, you know, what descriptions I have for stuff. But there's monthly and I check my finances every month, uh, balance everything. But those are things that I end up doing monthly that are just a part of what I do. But it's helpful to have like a big, you know, year like goal. So you so. start with the year, you break that out into months, you break the months out into weeks, you look at core tasks versus floating tasks. Yes. You, you probably boil it down to daily tasks at the top of the week. Yes. I guess. Right? Yeah. So like every week I have certain things that I always do. I always check my availability because I have clients schedule on my website. So I check to make sure that's still updated. So usually the week prior, I just double check, make sure my availability is correct. Um, I prep for the appointments for the following week, make sure I have all the paperwork in place. I set my alarms, I plan my outlines, but that's stuff I do every week. And usually it might be on like a Thursday or a Friday. So it's like kind of floating, but are they're tasks that I do all the time. And those are ones I actually schedule in my calendar and they just, you know, become a part of what I do. But it helps to have like, the big goals, break it to month, break it to week, and then, you know, break it to day and then prioritize when you get to the day because things might kind of fly off track if you need. <laughs> what's your What's your goal for webinars? You just had one today. I did. I just had one today. Um, what's your goal for like the year for those? Do you have one? So I actually had a big, well, my overarching goal is there's one, there's one um, conference that I want to speak at that I'm hoping one day my proposal will get accepted for today's dietitian, if anyone's familiar with the symposium. But that's like my big goal. And so my little goal is to, not little goal, but my year goal is to try to network with them in some way. So I have an email correspondence going about a webinar to run with them. But um, overarchingly this year, my plan, my, my goal was for three webinars. So I'm at two right now. And uh, it's March? It's March. Okay, I think that was maybe a, either a modest goal or you're killing it on <laughs> webinars right now. Yeah. So do you do you use uh, project management tools or, or some kind of like organizer software? Yeah, so I use Google Tasks, Tasks and Google Keep now, but I previously used Asana, which I actually utilize with interns because um, that was really nice to be able to use. But now I think I'll just use... Google Tasks and Google Keep because I use a lot of Google stuff. So it, it integrates with the email and I have the, the the business Google Workspace, which originally was G Suite. So it integrates everything all in one with like the calendar and stuff like that, which is why I went that route. Not sponsored by Google. Not sponsored. She just happens to use Google's stuff. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, but I also keep a paper planner planner too because I like crossing things off. She sure so. <laughs> does. You should see her planner. It's pretty colorful. <laughs> Yeah, I like color coding, looking at everything, and I still have the same information on like a digital calendar, but just like the act of crossing things no, off. I get it. I, I like a, a good paper to-do list. I used one every day when I was in management, something to cross off and physically do, and just as something that's, it's sometimes it's just easier to write things down, too. 
Or sometimes I'll like make notes on something to say like, here's a task, you know, like an outline and I'll like make some notes about it like on, you know, my checklist. And then that way I can like go back to it later. But sometimes it's just like rough as I'm like thinking about it. And so I'm not like, oh, I have to go sit at my computer or grab my phone. And it's just a little easier that way too. So you've used Asana. Yes. There, it's, that's project management software or it's like a, you know, web-based tool that's used for organizing things in a calendar and like project management organization where it's like you have it in layers kind of um it's it's like monday.com if everyone's probably a lot of people have seen the ads for monday they're kind of relentless and trello is another big one Mm -hmm. but you know that sort of stuff you don't actively use one of those systems for your day-to-day things you use the google tools that you just talked about but you've used asana as one of those Mm -hmm. for when you're working with interns specifically yeah and i liked it because it eliminated how many times i had to email people back and forth with like documents because you can upload stuff and i can also create like a schedule in there too so then that way they can know like when we were seeing clients and add comments and it was just it kept everything in one place and eliminated all the back and forth and it was free too like I didn't want something I had to pay for um, when I was working with interns so uh, that's a good one for that Microsoft has a planning one too which if you're going to use like the office suite stuff you know and Outlook and all that you know you might go that route planning yeah it's called Microsoft planning It was nice, but I just didn't, you know, need another platform. (laughs) I mean, of course, the guys who make Windows are going to have a system or program for literally everything. It's not a surprise that Microsoft has a platform for that Mm -hmm. as well. All right. So so what do you do to stay on task and um, how do you hold yourself accountable? Like, how do you maintain this rigorous schedule that you set up for yourself? So definitely planning. And I'm the kind of person where if it's in my planner, I, I like have to do it. <laughs> Stresses you out <laughs> if you don't do it. Yes. Although what I have been doing, because sometimes I overbook myself and, you know, things get crazy and I, you know, have this long list and then I'm like, oh, I didn't do what I was supposed to. Um, but I have, you know, a list of things that I want to get done and I prioritize that list. Like here's my top three things I absolutely need to get done today. Here's things I could get done. But if they don't get done today, here's my deadline, which might be like Wednesday, Thursday or Friday. And so I have that in there. So I know I have like a hard deadline being Friday, but I have wiggle room if I need it. That prioritizing tasks is like the most important thing for productivity. If you are going in for a job interview and you have the opportunity to talk about prioritizing tasks, that's a huge leg up. It was one of the things that I used to look for as a hiring manager. It was one of the reasons that I got my first management job was because they brought up prioritizing tasks. It's a big deal. Mm-hmm. Talk about that. If you're in a job interview, it's really important. Have that. Have those top three tasks. What's the most important thing to get done today, this week, this month? You know, if you, if you need to get something done today, that's a top priority. If you need to get it done by noon, should have probably gotten done yesterday, but that's also a top priority. That sort of stuff. Being able to prioritize your tasks actively throughout the day and be able to roll with punches too mm-hmm. if something comes up to be able to move that to the top of the priority list and keep yourself you know, organized and active with what's a high priority versus low priority. If you don't have to get something done until next week and there's something else that you should be doing because it needs to be done today, that's the thing you should do. Yeah, and it's not to say you can't get ahead, but like sometimes what I'll do is if there's a task that I'm like, I don't really want to do um, or it might be a big task to start, you know, I might find myself doing things that I don't need to do right now just to kind of avoid that big task and so sometimes having to say to yourself you know okay stop (laughs) and do the thing that you need to and I'll like turn my phone off I'll you know put 
the things on silent. And I'll like close things that I'm not needing to do and like set a block of time. Um, and usually I'll like schedule it in my calendar, say like this time to this time I'm doing this. And usually once I get started, it's fine, but it's easy to keep putting it off. It's hard. <laughs> the hardest thing is getting started for a lot of things, really. Mm-hmm. And if I'm working on a project or a task that does not need to have an open internet browser, I will keep the internet browser closed. So many distractions Mm -hmm. with an internet browser. If you don't have to have one open, don't. If you're working in like a Word doc or a spreadsheet or, you know, in the files on your computer and you don't need an internet browser, don't leave your email box open. The notification is going to go off. You're going to check things. So easy to become distracted. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, like don't have YouTube open or like whatever. Just stuff that's going to easily pull you away from being productive keep it closed. Yeah. Put and the that, phone away too. That email too, like that was something, because I always felt like I needed to check my email in case something came in. It was something I didn't want to miss. And, you know, trying to set specific time blocks, like I check it in the morning, I check it like mid-afternoon and usually like late afternoon or evening, depending on like the time frame I'm working. Or like sometimes I'll check it right before a session just in case someone needs to like last minute cancel. So I'm like not waiting and I know Um, but actually closing, because I used to just leave my email open. And as much as like the ding going off and I'm just like, you know, it's that minute of distraction away from what you're doing, even if you don't check it, it just, and then I'm like, hmm, wonder what that is. And then I have to check. (laughs) Yeah. There's an opportunity cost for distraction. It takes you a little bit to mentally shift gears when you move away from a task and go back to it. You should absolutely break tasks and stop doing things between major break points in that task. If you can finish something it's better to finish it instead of stopping doing it and then starting doing it again you're losing time there there's an opportunity cost you're not as productive when you're constantly task switching yeah so, you think you're productive but you're not <laughs> well it's and it's it's an illusion too a lot of people like to quote unquote multitask where they think they're doing two things at 50 percent capacity instead of one thing at 100 percent. your brain doesn't really work that way yeah. you're, you're just being less productive basically you're way better off focusing on one task at a time yeah Okay, so um, there are some other things, little techniques and tricks that you like, I know. Uh, you've talked about the Pomodoro effect. Yes. Pomodoro, that's a tomato in Italian, right? It is, yes. So <laughs> I think that's what, what it came mean? from, too. Yeah. Um, but it's basically, it's like a, a window of time where you set to work, so you put a timer on, and like the example usually is like 25 minutes. So you set the timer 25 minutes when it rings, then you check it off, and you take a short break, usually five minutes. Um, and then usually... You do that if you do it like four times in a row, then you take like a longer break at like the fourth break, like a 15 or a 30 minute break. But the whole point is that you have a dedicated time, but you also have a start and end time to say like 25 minutes or it could be shorter, you know, depending on maybe where you're starting um, or what you're working with. But like 25 minutes where it's like, okay, here's where I'm just going to stop and do this, what I need to do and prioritize, you know, whatever it is. And you're just in the zone for 25 minutes, turn off everything else. Like we were just talking about, but it's 25 minutes on usually again, like a five minutes off and then back to it. But it kind of like chunks into short time intervals. You know, I don't know if I love that the 25 minutes as a timer, because if you're in the middle of something and then suddenly you're abruptly interrupted because your 25 minute timer is going off and now you're going to stop. When you could have just finished it and found a natural break point, I think maybe that's better. It depends. I mean, I found the 25 minutes sometimes to work really well if I'm like, let's say I'm doing like a presentation and sometimes I'll like be looking at all different kinds of research and I'm like in my computer, but then after like an hour and a half, my like, my 
backside is getting sore. You're a little bit fried, huh? Yeah. And so, you know, as much as I don't want to, even if I just like stand up for like a minute and like not leave the task necessarily, but take like a little bit of like a physical break and a mental break for a second and then go back to it. So it could be shorter, you know, than like a five minute break and doesn't mean you have to walk away necessarily from your task. And No, I think the five minute part's important, isn't it? I mean, the five minute is for like this specific Pomodoro technique, but you can use it as like a modified. But like something where you, where you like actually detach mentally from exactly what you're doing. Yeah. I guess if it's like a long uninterrupted thing, that's kind of one thing. Like if you're studying or you're working on a specific presentation or you're writing, taking a break from that. But if you're doing a task that involves like multiple things, then like finding a break point naturally. Like if you're, say you're like working on a video and you're doing like the first rough pass of editing, stopping there. If it takes 20 or 40 minutes, you know, a natural break point where then you're going to move on to audio or something. Mm -hmm. Depends on what you're doing, I guess. But I understand that the, the, the the technique, the concept, one of my professors in college was really big on 30 minutes on five minutes off. And I like that. Mm-hmm. It worked for the class, too. It, we, it was a three-hour class. So we stopped every half hour for a five-minute break. Students were a lot more attentive after the five-minute break coming back for 30 minutes. That's a good point, though, because I kind of naturally do that with, like, teaching. Is I, can't, I have, like, 75-minute classes or, like, a three-hour class. And, I mean, I can't even, like, I don't know if I would be able to sit through that. So, like, 75 minutes, I break that into, like, usually, like, lecture for a certain amount of time and then we do like poll something fun kind of and then like an activity where it's like breaking it up um so there's that's other ways you can also depending on what task you're doing breaking up the type of task you might do too like if something's a little bit more you know mental energy versus maybe something a little bit more fun too so so then another one is the uh, the Pareto principle I know you you know about that one right yeah like 80 20 the 80 20 <laughs> um, principle Pareto's law it's a, it's like an economy. It's a, it's a thing from economics, like way back, where uh, an economist noticed that twenty percent of the pea pods in his garden produced eighty percent of the peas. Then he also happened to notice that the wealth distribution in the local town was eighty percent of the wealth to twenty percent of the people, and he started to find that ratio in literally everything. So what it kind of represents is, generally speaking, twenty percent of your inputs yield eighty percent of your output. Mm-hmm. How do you apply that to your practice? So sometimes I use that as like, what things am I doing that I'm spinning my wheels on and aren't actually getting me clients? Like what is my, I use that a lot for like client sources, you know, like what client, what partnerships do I have that's generating, that are generating most of my client uh, referrals, you know, or what kinds of programs do I run that generates the most interest and then yields, you know, the most income. So there's a lot of ways to apply it. I use it a lot in terms of like referral sources where I was having some referrals from certain companies where like trying to keep the partnership was like so much effort for like one client and per year. So like, is this worth my time and energy and the exhaustion? And maybe it wasn't, or maybe there's a partnership that has a little bit more time involved to kind of nurture the relationship and who I might work with. But they are sending me lots of clients. And so it's worth that time and energy Um, or in just productivity stuff. You know, what stuff am I creating and spending a ton of time on like a newsletter where may or may not get a lot of interaction and client, you know, 
pulls from that. So, you know, yeah. you can apply it to a lot of stuff. I mean, practice. you can apply it to literally everything. Like if you run an Instagram account and you do a variety of different types of posts, there's a really good chance that 20% of those types of posts are giving you 80% of your engagement. Like if mm-hmm. you're a dietitian and you're sharing posts about like cool food that you eat and you're also sharing posts about interesting locations for food or and you're also sharing posts with snippets of science about certain food and nutrients, chances are like like 20% of those types of those posts are getting you 80% or more of the engagement. Sometimes it's not 80-20. Sometimes it's like 95-5 or like 99-1. Like 1 or 2% are getting you like 90 or 95% of whatever the yield is. There's a variety of ways to apply that. Mm-hmm. But it's a really good one. I don't know if you're familiar with Parkinson's Law. We've talked about that one a little bit. We did, bit. but I don't remember what it so is. That's, that, so that's another one that I like personally. I don't know. You probably use it subconsciously. But it's basically uh, a task swells in complexity relative to the time allotted to it. Yes. It has to do with <laughs> deadlines. So if you give yourself 10 days to do a thing, you'll get it done in 10 days. If you give yourself 10 hours to do that same thing, you will get it done in 10 hours mm-hmm. or less. Or maybe like a little more. The point is, if you set deadlines to pressure yourself a little, you will be more productive. Yeah. You will surprise yourself at how much you're able to get done in less time if you have less time to do that thing. Because if you have to get it done, you're going to get it done. Yeah. I can't tell you how many times, you know, like in college, if, you, if, you, if, you're, if the paper is due tomorrow, you'll get it done tomorrow. <laughs> you'll get it done. Whereas if it's due in three months... You're not going to get it done next week. Mm. You're going to get it done in three months because you have three months. But in, when you have three months to do something, it feels like a monumental task. It does, Whereas yeah. it could only, it may only take you a week or a few days to do it anyway. It can be pretty overwhelming. And there's like, you know, I try to work ahead and try to do things ahead of time for certain stuff. But there's also some stuff like I had a webinar today and I, we scheduled the webinar, you know, like two months ago. And so it wasn't until last week that I created the outline, created the slides, and I finished them on Sunday. So it gave me a couple blo- couple of days to go back and just like sift through and see if there was anything else after I kind of like slept on it for a while. But I wasn't going to create it two months ago because one, things can change, especially in business. Um, where like I've scheduled webinars where they were supposed to be an hour and then they're 30 minutes or they've changed, you know, the, the topic. And so then I create all this stuff for like nothing, it feels like. Um, so it's not to say to wait to the last minute for everything, but especially when you're in private practice and you're juggling a lot, sometimes, you know, it can be hard to, you know, create these self-imposed deadlines to say, oh, I need to get this done here and here. But, you know, as much as you can also kind of work ahead, you know, I'm I'm that type of person. I like to get things done early. Um, but something else to just keep in mind too, is that things can change in private practice. So I wouldn't suggest always waiting until the last minute if you're that type of person, because things can come up that throw you off that maybe, you know, if you were in a job working for someone wouldn't have been much of a big deal. But if you're in private practice, juggling all of the things, it can be overwhelming and stressful. So (laughs) sometimes it's not really worth it to get ahead on something that's, that's due in like two or three months. It's coming up in two or three months. If it's something like, you know, for instance, what you just brought up, a webinar, where things can change, Mm -hmm. the time slot can change, it can become longer or shorter or whatever. Sometimes if you do something and it's two or three months in advance, you may have to redo that work. Yeah. Because things enough things change to where the work you did is no longer relevant, and then you just wasted your time. Mm -hmm. But then also, if you do something for three months from now, 
you do some of that work and then you put it off for another month or two and then you look at it again and in in when it's closer, you're going to have to kind of refresh yourself mm-hmm. on the work you did. It's not fresh anymore. You may not even rem- remember everything you did. It, it's a lot like, um, like studying for a test. You know, if you have, if you were in, when you were in school, you had vocabulary tests at one point. You got the reading list maybe at the beginning of the week on Monday. The test was on Friday. If you did a ton of studying Monday and then you didn't touch it until Friday again, you know, you, you kind of like wasted a bit of that time Monday. Whereas if you did a little bit maybe throughout the week and were a little heavier later in the week, it was more fresh. They talk about that with language learning too. If you're getting ready to take a trip somewhere, you're learning Spanish. If you learn Spanish and then you never use it, and then a year later you're going to Spain or whatever, or Puerto Rico or whatever, all of a sudden you're not, it's not fresh. Whereas if you were learning it up to that point and you were either like heavier before, right before, you know, like with your webinar, it was probably very beneficial to wait for the week prior to do mm-hmm. most of that work because everything's kind of locked in at that point. Yeah. And you're in it, you're fresh, it's, it's in the front of your mind. Yes. You know, it, it's kind of a waste to do, to do things so far ahead. If it's something like that. Yeah. And again, you know, you can also start like, like I started with like a rough outline, like for some stuff, I'll start with a rough outline and then just leave it and not actually create the content. Like I'll pull like the resources that I'm planning on using and what topics and like the learning objectives to kind of map it out, but don't actually sit down and write it until it's like getting closer because then it's fresh in my mind. But also if there's any tweaks or changes, you know, or newer research that I need to include, it's already there. So... Okay, so you have a lot of clients. That's one thing you need to do to stay organized with scheduling and everyone's paperwork and whatnot. How do you keep all your clients organized? How do you organize their paperwork and uh, the receipt of of said paperwork and their sessions and all that stuff? Yeah, so I now I use an EMR, which I would highly suggest it is a cost and it is a business cost that you can use as a write-off to put as a write-off. But it'll make your life so much easier. When I first started, I was doing, I mentioned like paper charts and then like flash drives and all of that. And I had file folders for every client, um, whether it was paper or again, like digital files. But, you know, it's just a lot of documents. Whereas with the EMR, now I can upload documents to like a client's section of the EMR. And it just makes it a lot easier to add notes. Because the other thing is I keep track of if a client emails me or calls me, I put a note in the chart so I can refer back to it versus like, wait, I think they emailed me. Where did I put that? And it's like all in different places. So that'll help with keeping you organized. But also, again, if you're using like an EMR, you can get ones that are the, then HIPAA compliant and it solves that that issue too. So that's one piece. Matt, sending reminders for appointments. We talked about this in another podcast of, you know, I highly suggest sending appointment reminders once you schedule a client. And I was doing those manually when I first started. So I had like a template and an email where I like in a Word doc where I cut and paste and then like put the appointment time and date for the client. It, I didn't realize how much time it took up until I got the EMR and it was automated. And I realized how much time I was saving. So things like that, you know, you could stay organized by having a template ready to go. But again, if you end up going like the EMR route, you can automate right, reminders for email, for text. You can even have like automated you know, calls too. Um, and then it just keeps everything so much more organized. Anything that you can automate, you should. Mm-hmm. Automation is such a good productivity hack. If you can have a machine or a program do a thing for you, get it off your list. Mm-hmm. Automate it. Automate as much as you can away. All right, what else? Do you talk about, do you talk about blocking clients, how you do that? Um, so I blocked clients and I tried to do this when I first started and it was really hard and then I got back to it and now I have 
Monday, Tuesday, and Fridays are my client load days. And it alters slightly based on my teaching schedule, like every, you know, spring versus fall, but usually three days of client days. You can see, depending on your practice, depending on, you know, if you're a one-person show or if you have other dietitians or, you know, who you're working with, you may see clients like Monday to Friday, you know, obviously depends, but... I found like Monday, when, Monday, Tuesday, Friday, and leaving Wednesday, Thursday, Thursdays for podcasts and content creation, but also Wednesdays as like a day to f- kind of do office-related tasks because that can be something too is when you're blocking too many clients. I find sometimes like I'm just drained if I have a bunch of clients. Like I don't want to work on productivity stuff and blogs and contents after I've been like seeing like eight clients in the day. It's, you know, I'm just kind of like mentally fried. So being able to block the clients on certain days of the week, it keeps me organized and it helps me with scheduling things like out in the future too. So what are some other um, resources that dietitians must have in your opinion for private practice, anything specific? So definitely a HIPAA compliant fax and never thought I would need a fax, but... um, Digital fax or physical? Digital fax. Uh, I mean, you can get a physical one, but... um, you can get a digital fax. Just make sure it's HIPAA compliant. I mean, so. no one's saying buy a fax machine. No. <laughs> you can get faxes to your printer. Yeah, that's true. Like your printer is a fax machine usually. Yeah. Are old school fax machines still a thing? I don't know. People have been asked, people asked about them recently in one of the groups I'm in. So. Oh, yeah, yeah. Your, your printer is a fax machine too. It can receive faxes and you can send faxes from generally most printers. Yeah, I think you just have to set up like whatever network requirements. Yeah, you need a number stuff. for that, but you yeah. can do them digitally via email too, can't you? Yes. So when you're looking, if you're looking to get HIPAA compliant e-fax system, uh, so an online fax system, make sure it's HIPAA compliant and how you receive those faxes also needs to be HIPAA compliant. So your email that you would get the fax sent to you would need to be HIPAA compliant. So I use um, an online fax system and I get an email notification and then I can look at the fax like in my email or go onto the platform and check it. Um, But it's so much easier to send stuff to insurance companies for um, doctors to send me referrals. If clients need to send me lab work, um, I have clients who have like access to a fax machine at work or I've had clients like fax me paperwork, um, even at like you know, a library or something. But what matters is that on your end, it needs to be HIPAA compliant. So just to clarify, the way in which data is sent is different via fax than it is via email. Maybe I'm wrong about this, but like fax basically operates over a phone line. Yes. Kind of. The way in which the data is transmitted is different than email. And it's harder to kind of intercept and it's it's more safe in terms of like encryption I yeah guess. that's kind of how i understood it too is that's like a safer method than like just emailing although you can if you don't have the option or don't want to get a fax number you can also do it like encrypted faxes as long as you know who you're sending to has the ability to like unencrypt it <laughs> um and then also encrypted if, email do you mean yeah encrypted email sorry um but then also making sure that, you know, like for physician offices, they often didn't really send encrypted emails like that was not a thing. They wanted to send me a fax unless I was in their network and there was like a, you know, email for that. But So yeah. I take it you also want to have a dedicated phone line for the business as well as a physical mailing address. Yes. Those are important things, right? Yep. And again, with the phone line too, making sure also HIPAA compliant, especially if you're going to use like any kind of texting services too. And which that could be something you just don't offer or you do. 
Um, there's a lot of options out there for phone lines. I, I use, again, the one with um, G Suite, but you have to get the paid Google Voice for it to be included in the business associate agreement to make it HIPAA compliant. The free one is not. So you can use the free one and just use that for like other stuff, not stuff that you know, is involving client information and personal health information, um, you know, but just something to keep in mind. And it's pretty cheap too. So the, the mailing address, you have a, you have a PO box. Yeah. So it's not a PO box. Uh, Technically it is, but it's a, a real street address. So one thing to keep in mind and one thing I would suggest if you're not going to use like an office space is get a real street address, which you can get through, um, like the UPS store or yeah. like USPS, depending where your location is. Um, but they give you like an actual mailing address, like an actual street number, and then like a suite. So it's not a PO box, which you can't use for insurance purposes. So it, it, it's a PO box kind of masquerading as a suite. Pretty much. Basically, <laughs> they sell it to you like, oh, it's this address and suite number 402 or whatever, but it's actually a, a PO box. In a, in a, like a UPS store. Yeah. And there are options that I've heard of for like e mailboxes. However, again, if you're going to use anything that's an, an online mailbox or anything like that, it needs to still be HIPAA compliant. So make sure that they can offer you a BAA for you to sign to make sure that it is HIPAA compliant. All right. A business notebook? Yes. So I was just talking about this actually recently with somebody. So I have, oh, I didn't take it out, but I have a um, business notebook that I started when I first started my practice and I kept notes on like, and actually if you go to my Instagram, now my dietitian journey, um, I have a picture of some of my first entries from uh, the journal and like what goals I had, but it's a great way to like brainstorm. And that could be a, a you know, a physical journal or it could be an online uh, journal tool too, but to keep track of like, when I called things, any like outside after I did a webinar, like what went well, what things would I want to change or improve upon? I use it to keep track of, um, you know, when I call, call insurance companies who I spoke with, important phone numbers. Um, and it just is a way for me to like refer back to that without having like 15 different papers. Um, and so I like being able to refer back and, and have like tips for myself too. And that's also where you could put like checklists, um, but that can look different, you know, like a binder could be as well. But I like the idea of having a notebook, you know. Have you considered a business journal or diary of some kind to write about how you feel about how things are going? Yeah. And so what you're thinking? That's kind of like the first one I started actually has a lot of that. Like there were a few entries where I'm like, what am I doing <laughs> in private practice? I don't know what I'm doing. And then like wins that I had. Um, and it is really nice. Like I started it in 20. 20- 16 when I left my full-time job and it was actually really nice to be able to like look back on some of those entries of like what was I even thinking back then and where I am now and what goals I had like I would just like brainstorm random stuff um in them as well and so um yeah I could see that being helpful having a, a sort of journaling business journal where you kind of keep track of things because you know in a year or five looking back and seeing how far you've come could be probably very gratifying and maybe help you put things into perspective if you're struggling down the line to realize where you came from and, and mm-hmm. how hard this used to be compared to, you know, what you're up to now. Yeah. Any other tools that you would suggest but aren't necessarily required, like helpful stuff? Uh, the only other things I would suggest, things like, you know, a newsletter um, platform, like I use MailChimp, but there's like constant contact, um, you know, the way to have for you to collect email addresses for clients, have a landing page for them to sign up for a newsletter. Um, you know, there's platforms like 
Gumroad and eJunkie and stuff for like selling products, like digital products. Um, Canva is one I do suggest to use like to make like social media um, graphics. You can create handouts on it. Um, the banners that you see on like YouTube and all of that, they have them, um, you know, the correct size on there. But there's a free option, which is the one I use a lot. Um, and that could be a way to like design stuff you know, nice. <laughs> so those would be the other ones where they're not necessary, you know, in keeping yourself organized or having a practice, but they can make it a little easier. Well, there's also some tools for creating video. Oh, I didn't mention any of those. That are free. <laughs> if you have a MacBook or any kind of Apple product, an iPad, even an iPhone, iMovie is an excellent solution for creating video projects. That could be anything from like a video podcast like this one or video content for a YouTube channel or something. Or even if you do Instagram posts or little videos on Twitter, you can edit them in iMovie or a video editor. Um, a multi-platform free, powerful video editor is DaVinci Resolve. It's free, but it is a professional grade video editor. I use it for all types of projects for this channel and others. It is extremely potent and has more than you'd ever need probably as a dietitian for video content creation. It can do all the same stuff I was just talking about with like Instagram videos and all that, all, all that whatnot. But if you really want to dig into like video and even audio editing, uh, DaVinci Resolve is an excellent tool for that. And it's Apple and Microsoft, it's Windows mm -hmm. or, or Mac OS too. Great tool. And it's free. Any final tips, words of advice, closing thoughts? Um, just in like wrapping up with, you know, keeping yourself organized and on task with stuff, you know, one, one thing I do is sometimes I'll see where I'm spending most of my time and determine, is that something I can optimize, outsource, automate? Um, and if it's not, you know, am I spending the, you know, when I'm doing these tasks for whatever it might be, am I doing it the most efficiently or am I like multitasking and really thinking that I'm doing a lot and I'm actually like, just wasting a lot of time. But being able to like critically look at my calendar to say like, where am I spending most of my time? And then also seeing where like my time sinks are and whether or not that time sink could be something I can automate or um, again, outsource or even like cut out if I don't actually need to do it. So yeah. In the immortal words of Snoop Doggy Dog oh, gosh. and Dr. Dre, check yourself <laughs> before you wreck yourself. That's going to do it here for the My Dietitian podcast. Thanks for being with us. Links to all relevant social medias and anything we talked about, links will be in the description for everything, including what I just talked about. Where you, where you, she sends me a whole boatload of links to put in. I'll, I'll link for like DaVinci Resolve and you know whatever okay. else too. Mm -hmm. But um, that's going to do it for us. Thanks for being with us. And uh, what, what are we thinking about for next time? Any ideas? I do actually. Um, inspired by a couple of dietitians I just talked to. Um, the imposter syndrome, what it is, and how to work through that. So Yeah, that's a big one. All right, mm -hmm. next time, tune in for more on the imposter syndrome. And uh, yeah, that'll do it for us here at the My RD, My, my. Dietitian, <laughs> My Dietitian Journey podcast. More about that later, too. All right, that's going to do it. Thanks for being with us.